Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. He promised to wait, but I won't appear, and he may come here. Satan, he's at my gate. Get thee behind me. Stay where you are, it's too Recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is Abe. Hello. Out now is a film podcast, which is Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring in the latest discussion about movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a callback to past films of the week, similar to the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is episode seventy-three, and today we are talking about The Master, the new film from Paul Thomas Anderson, and. Joining us to discuss the master, we have writer for Fast Film Reviews, a man undergoing processing, Mark Hoban. Hi, everyone. And writer for the awards circuit, a troublemaker with a stolen mice motorcycle, Mark Johnson. Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Very good. good. Ready for this? We ready to process this movie? <laughs> oh, I'm ready to audit it. Oh, there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. A few announcements. Um, once again, our 75th episode is coming up. That's that's what happens after 73 eventually. You get to 75. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll uh, probably do something. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Something cool, yeah. That, that, that should be our Looper episode. And we're always we're already excited for Looper, so you, you never know. We'll, we'll all just dress up as Bruce Willis. I think that'll, be a, that'll probably be a good time. <laughs> all of us. All, all the out-and-out guests in general, even if they're not on the show for Looper. Just dress as Bruce Willis did. Wear bald caps. and I can keep this going. I can keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, okay, uh, iTunes reviews and ratings, happy to get those, they help out the show, quick log into iTunes, give us a star rating, maybe type out a sentence, and, you know, it helps, it helps out our show, and it's, you know, it's a nice thing to do, and we appreciate it a lot, and, you know, if you like listening to the show, we've been doing it for almost 75 episodes, I hear, um, you know, be cool. Uh, last thing, uh, we're talking about The Master, obviously, and... I have a contest. It is a Paul Thomas Anderson contest, and I'm going to award two winners for this one. I have both Magnolia and Boogie Nights on DVD in their their respective special editions, and so I'm going to be mailing those out to winners of this contest. I'm opening opening up the floor to everybody, but it's not a first come first serve thing. It's more of a this email, you know, I we Abe and I liked a lot. <laughs> so. This is the the subject of that contest. Who is your favorite character in a Paul Thomas Anderson film and why? And so, you know, just name a character, write out, you know, a few sentences, paragraph, at most, you know, whatever, and email us in at outnowpodcast at gmail.com, and you have a chance to win a copy of Boogie Nights or Magnolia on DVD. I'll just sign it out there. Yeah, is it going to be an autograph by Aaron? Of course. Uh, well, I, I, as, I, as always, I send, a, I send a crudely written note with everything that we send out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could easily... With your awesome handwriting. I could easily type out a note and print it and then sign it, but that takes... No, that, that's that, impersonal. That takes away how... Yeah, exactly. We, we get out now with Aaron and Abe are incredibly... Per- if anything, personal. That's... that's and, and personable. That's, that's how we roll. We, we've literally tried to meet every one of our guests, except for the ones that are in different time zones. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> there you have it. PTA contest. 
who's your favorite character and why, send in an email, outnowpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, since it's very easy to win our contest, it'll be ongoing until we get winners. <laughs> so, yes, I'm calling back to our Thor contest, but the- I was going <laughs> to yes. I don't think anyone's finished. That Anyone that wants yet. to listen to episode eight of Thor and tell me how many frost giants are in Thor, there's a prize waiting for them. That's all I'm saying. Here's a hint: <laughs> I think we actually name the number in the subsequent podcast. We might. So, yeah, I think you can just check out the show notes from the subsequent podcast, and you'll see that there's... How many times is the word Frost Giants mentioned in Thor and in our, <laughs> in, in our podcast? In our podcast or Thor? Or, or Thor? It was the podcast. In, in, how many times is the word Frost Giants? Why am I promoting this contest still? That's that's over 60 episodes ago, but whatever. <laughs> anyway. Let's move on. Let's move on to know everybody, where each week we try to ask each other a few questions to better set the tone for the podcast and, you know, get to know everybody. So, with that said, I'm going to start this one off. Mark Johnson. Yes, sir. What is an old movie that you'd love to see on a screen projected in 70 millimeter? Wow. Uh, how about 2001 Space Odyssey? Oh, there you go. That's a great That's a good choice. Yeah. They, they actually do that yeah. by, I'm in, you know, fancy L.A. area, so I can, <laughs> I can feasibly do that, like, in some, at some point in the future. Lucky bastard. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be that'd be a nice one to see. Even even just on the big screen at all, I'd, that's probably at the top of my list. They have um, you've probably seen it too. I know Lawrence of Arabia is coming. Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I, I I love the choice of two thousand one too. Yeah. Anything with a broad landscapes like either one of those two would be great. <laughs> all right, uh, how about Abe? What are your three favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman movies? Three favorite. Wow. Okay, Polly. <laughs> There's not too many, so. Damn, these are. It, that's hard. I don't know. But yeah, just any, anything it's that actually, he's in is fine. There's, there's quite a few. I can well, because there's, there's, one, there's only what, yeah. one, two, three, four, six. Where he's the lead. There's like, but there's like lead. Like he's a good, he's a great actor in general. So there's like great, right. but there's like just oh, like yeah. fun supporting roles that he's in. Oh, he's got tons of yeah, like like Sin of a Woman or uh, even Red Dragon. Any, any anything at all that he's in. Lebowski is Brant. Like he's just, there, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Lebowski is. I'm gonna shout out one movie while Abe's looking up an answer. Owning Mahoney is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. I really like that movie a lot. He plays a compulsive gambler, and it's really good. He's he's really good in that movie. I want to also call out a movie that nobody ever talks about, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. That's, I love yeah, that. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, I love that film. Sidney Lynette movie, right? He's got that awesome uh, sex scene in that movie. Oh, my God, yeah. All right? Just wanna, <laughs> like, I just want to pause it and watch Philip Seymour Hoffman have sex. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, know what I like about Before the Devil Knows You're Dead? That's, like, Sidney Lynette made that when he was, what, like, 80-something years old? And it like, like it just has a this editing style that's ferocious in that movie. It's just... It just the way it like cuts back and forth through like different time frames it's really good i'm gonna go with uh moneyball capote and yes we'd have to go you with know, for you to for funsies performance you can't just have the serious villains who were hot yeah yeah and i actually did like him in magnolia because i like that that line that right. he has when he's talking to tom cruise over the phone it's like i think this is the good the part where i'm trying to do whatever whatever he's talking to like, like one of his agents yeah. the good guy or something like that yeah it's so that part of the movie where like, yeah yeah, he's like trying to get through to, to Tom Cruise, and yeah, so I, I liked him in that enough. Uh, Mark Hoban. Yes. If you were told to travel to a point on a motorcycle as fast as you can, where would you go? Where would I go? Uh, I don't know, probably uh, take a trip down to Monterey. I love that area. Oh, yeah, that's a really beautiful area. 
I don't know, just random, but... I like that answer, though. I love Monterey. I love going there. And passing through to Carmel. Okay. Um, let's see. Aaron, yes. uh, which leader would you rather follow? John Hawks in Martha Marcy May Marlene or Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master? Well, there, there's less chance of violence involved if I join the cause. Martha Marcy May Marlene. <laughs> and there's also more chance of, like, decadent parties and, you know, fun times as opposed to Martha Marcy May Marlene where I'm, like, you know, living in the woods and, like, you know, not being able to sing while I play my songs while John Hawks is, like, sleeping with everybody else. So I'm, I'm going to say the cause. Oh yeah, I'm gonna okay. go. Gonna go with the cause. I'm, I'm, I'm no real. <laughs> I mean, what's 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 a it's, it's a billion years in the making, right? So I can. <laughs> I, I think you're right that the cause is less dangerous. Yes, I, I like the lack of danger. If I'm gonna join a a society of individuals, using my words carefully, I think the cause seems like the one for me. Um, Abe, yeah. have you ever made or drank moonshine? You're talking about like some childish drink that's made of sugar. Probably. I'm not Abe, but <laughs> what are you on the yeah, side? <laughs> and uh, no, I haven't. I haven't made it, and I haven't drinking any. Though I hear that some of it can be quite rough. Uh, Mark Johnson. Yep. If you can make up a swear word with one animal and your favorite cuss word, what would it be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, horse, horse is already taken, right? Yeah. So, uh, how oh, about God, more original? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me think. How about? Wolverine, fuck. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> These are good uh, questions, Abe, because they're like really like you've obviously watched the film and really paid attention <laughs> and <then laughs> used, you used your knowledge and made a question. Colonel knowledge. Yeah, I was I was really taken aback by that scene. I was like, wow, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, uh, Mark. What uh, what character from any Paul Thomas Anderson film do you feel you most associate with? Hmm. Most associate with? If you want to impress the ladies, go with Dirk Diggler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. You know, I, I really do... I don't know if I identify with him, but I really do kind of like Adam Sandler's character in Punch Drunk Love, just to sort of like guy i don't know i that's probably i mean his characters really aren't i don't really identify with his characters very often because they're so like different and strange but um i guess i really felt for uh adam sandler in that film so i'll go with that okay um let's see aaron can amy adams ever go back to doing roles like enchanted after what she does to philip seymour hoffman in the master chance him um i'd hope so just because i like seeing likable amy adams <laughs> so um you know if she did, if, if she's in muppets too still muppet and i <laughs> <laughs> muppets to hawaiian vacation um tentative titles yeah no I'd, I'd like to see her go back to those roles i i don't think i'll have a problem having to picture her doing things in the master that i would rather not see her doing in other more family-friendly affairs, so yeah, I'd, I think she can. I think she can, but go back. All right, is that everybody? I think so. Okay, then that's how you play. No, everybody. Quickly, out now, quickies. TM. This is where we, you know, we we all see a lot of movies. A lot of movies come out every weekend, and I figure we could, you know, 
mention one or two of them in a very quick sentence. I'm just going to start. I saw Trouble with the Curve not too long ago. Uh, not, go- not good. I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like Clint Eastwood in it. That's my main problem. And, you know, when you're a star of the movie you're not liking, that's a problem. Clint Eastwood... How would you com- how would you compare his performance with, in that with... Um, Frank Langella and Lord Martin Frank. Gran- Gran Torino, yeah. Because it looks very similar to, to the in the trailer anyway. Uh, with Gran Torino, my issue... Okay. Uh, if Gran Torino... Because Gran Torino was supposed to be, like, his last performance as an actor. That's what we all thought anyway, I, I figured. And uh, if he went out with that, I would be happier than if he went, if he goes out with trouble with the curve. I I think he just he plays the grumpy old man thing again, and it's not like he's bad at it. It's just he's not offering anything. Gran Torino, even though I'm not like the biggest fan of that movie, as I know a lot of people are, I I still think he's at least doing something in there that like is worthwhile. Trouble with the curve is just kind of like he showed up to help his friend out since he's his producer on all those other movies. So he, you know, let him direct this movie and showed up to be in it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't feel special in any way. It's just a bland movie with messages like computers are bad and <laughs> technology is bad and you should feel bad. Technology is bad when you, when you have the, when you can, when you can see the pitch and hear it and just, it's nah, I didn't like it. That said, I saw Rowan and Frank with Frank Langella who also gives a grumpy old man performance, and that's a movie worth seeing. That's a movie. Go go see that movie. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, I'm done. I saw Arbitrage uh, yeah. a little while back, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, it's uh, the kind of role I think Richard. You know, Richard Gere has really changed a lot as an actor over the years, and I mean, as any actor would as you get older. But he really is settling into his latter career really well, and I think. This movie does a good job of highlighting his strengths and the kind of parts that he should be playing. And I thought it was an interesting uh, sort of meditation on um, a, a powerful guy. He is a villain, but in Richard Gere's hands, there is sort of a, a nuance to the character that you do sort of feel sorry for him. I mean, overall, he is he's doing things that you cannot support, and he's not a good guy. But he does it with sort of a performance that does draw you in and, and make you um, care about him. And that, I don't think, would be something that every actor could do. So Richard Gere definitely, um, he has the talent to playing these kind of parts, much in the same way that like Michael Douglas does when he was in Wall Street. And so I definitely think it, he took a drama that could have been kind of average – um, and really raised it to a level that I thought was something you know good to recommend. And I, there has been some talk about him possibly even getting nom- a nomination. That wouldn't be that wouldn't surprise me. I, I think his performance is that good. I don't think it's probably not good enough to be the best of the year, but it, it's definitely a good performance. Yeah, I also saw Arbitrage uh, most recently prior to the Master. So, um, and I agree with most of what you just said. I I, uh, I enjoyed it for the most piece. It was pretty intense more a little more intense than i was thinking i was kind of on the edge of my seat throughout the majority of it so uh that's that's definitely one i would recommend how's tim roth good. good yeah he was good too yeah it was nice seeing him again in a in a good role like some kind of a meaty role okay i the uh the the guy who stole the show though i thought was that nate parker yes uh, guy the young kid who plays jimmy I had to look him up, and it turns out I've actually seen him in some things before, and I hadn't even realized it. He was in Red Tails, right? I don't remember what else he was yeah. in. Yeah, I never saw that, but I saw him. I can't even remember what it was called. It had Terrence Howard, and I think it was called Pride. They were about so uh, the swimming one. 
Swimming, yeah. Uh, he was, and I didn't even realize oh. he was even in it. But yeah, and that movie is just okay. But uh, he, he's, yeah, I agree, totally support what you said. He was definitely a standout in this film. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's out now. Quickies <laughs> done. Quickie. TM. TM. Okay, let's get to movie trailer talk, where we have a discussion about some of the latest movie trailers that have come out. And um, first trailer up, we have Lincoln. This is the new Steven Spielberg film about Abraham Lincoln in his final days at office, starring Daniel Day-Lewis as Abraham Lincoln. And, um, yeah, new Spielberg film. It's about Lincoln. Well, a long time in the making, it seems. What do we think? Mark? Hoping? <laughs> Um, you know, I, how could I possibly not want to see this? It's directed by Steven Spielberg, and it looks, you know, very well mounted and everything. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely very excited about it, and I, I know it's one of the front run. I mean, people are talking now about it possibly being the front runner, one of the front runners for Best Picture. So, I'm excited to see it for those reasons. The uh, trailer does look a little bit overly fawning and overly respectful. And I kind of thought it might be a little bit more innovative if it, the movie had sort of a, I don't know. It, I mean, everybody has accepted that. And a lot of people, I think you've asked the average person who's the greatest president. A lot are going to say Lincoln. So I, it would be nice if maybe it's a little bit had some nuance to it. And maybe the film will. Um, but as far as the trailer is concerned, it looks very, like, very, like, you know, fawning and, and raises him up on a pedestal. But I'm definitely excited to see it. Mark Johnson? Yeah, me too. It's uh, It's got everything that Oscar voters will fall over, I'm sure. Uh, I'm real curious. I, I think it was interesting to see how uh, Daniel Day-Lewis gave off the little higher-pitched, whinier voice than you would normally come to expect from him. And based on you know like history reports, I guess, that's, Lincoln had that higher voice. So that was kind of the one thing that's jumped out right away for me was seeing um, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance. But yeah, any anytime Spielberg makes a movie, even even something like War Horse, I'm going to at least be excited to go see it and hope that it turns out old school, like or old school Spielberg. There's like aliens and family friendliness. <laughs> right. Um, this cast is ridiculous. Daniel Day Lewis, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, John Hawks, Michael Stuhlbarg, Jackie Earl Haley, Jared Harris, Sally Field, Lee Pace, James Spader, David Strathairn. Julie White, David Cosmo, Bruce McGill. Like, there's, like, this r- ridiculous list of character actors involved. Like, I'm surprised there's no Brian Cranston in here. That's the only person I have not seen on this list. <laughs> like, he died. He, he died. <laughs> like, it's, it's ridiculous. And, yeah, I mean, it's a new Spielberg film about Lincoln. I've been looking forward to this film forever since Liam Neeson was supposed to be Lincoln. So, like, I'm happy that I'm finally being able to see this movie. And I'm interested in where it's set. Like, it's neat that it's set. Like, it's not just like a biopic about all of Lincoln, because I already saw that earlier this summer. It was called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I'm sorry. It was called, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. It was called Future Classic Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. And so I'm glad that we're just focusing on one part, not rehashing the same old, you know, my mother was killed by a vampire, so I became a vampire hunter. But uh, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite excited for this movie. I like, you know, I'm, it's hard to not be, well, I guess it's not that hard, but I'm a Spielberg fan. It's written by Tony Kushner, who did Munich. I love Munich a lot. I'm happy that they're reteaming for this movie. I've already mentioned the ridiculous cast. I mean, the trailer itself, like, it didn't do more to excite me necessarily. It just more gave me a look at the movie. Like, it... it, this, it, it doesn't the trailer look a little bit like the kind of movie they're going to show in schools? And, yeah, it, you know, it, it looks... Yeah, it, it, it looks a little bit instructional, you know? It does, and it, which, it looks like the movie that... 
you're expecting from a movie called Lincoln, but I I hope I, I would like to think that Spielberg has a little more going on with it. In the, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, those are my Abe. I would definitely agree with the whole entire uh, getting a sneak peek at it and not being overly excited for it because I'm already excited for it. And also, uh, I'm I'm actually right there with you, Mark Johnson, about the voice. I was actually that's the part that only threw me off in the trailer was just I thought that maybe he would have a deeper voice, maybe or you know. Uh, I don't know. The guy was six foot four and beardy, so I would think that might be a biker voice. But that's just that's just beside the point. I'm just kind of excited to see how all of this is executed. Um, Jared Harris says Ulysses S. Grant looks pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, trying to be more reserved, actually, so I'm not overly putting it uh, way over the top, and then just being disappointed when I see it. So I'm trying to be a little bit reserved about it. All right, yeah, so Lincoln comes out November 16th. I believe it comes out like a week earlier in limited release, and then it spreads wide on November 16th. And, uh, yeah, it's a new We'll certainly be talking about it later on, so there you go. Uh, the next trailer we're going to talk about is the newest trailer for The Hobbit. This is obviously the Peter Jackson film, now a part of a trilogy and not just a double feature. Um, and, uh, yeah, The Hobbit and, was it, An Unexpected Journey? That's the title of the first film, I believe. Yeah. 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 And it's... You know, it stars a host of people, including Martin Freeman, who's come a long way from Tim in the office, is now the leader of a Peter Jackson blockbuster. So there you go. And um, I just w- I wanted to bring this trailer up because the first Hobbit trailer, it did enough to be like, all right, we're back in the world. This Hobbit trailer, the new one, I'm like really I'm like excited to see this movie now. Like, it, I don't know what changed, but like now I'm like really into this seeing the Hobbit. You, Aaron, you weren't excited before. I. <laughs> no, honestly, honestly, no. I'm like, I, I was happy enough that I'll be like seeing it, but I'm not a ringer. I'm not a guy that like loves the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I like them. Uh, I like the, uh, I like those. <laughs> like I, a ringer. That's what they're, they're ringers. That's what they're. I know, they, they, there's a documentary called Ringers. Like this. Um, I, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not like the biggest on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I, I think they get better as they go along. I like. I like them all. I like Return of the King more than the. You know. Fellowship, and uh, I don't know if that's controversial to say. I know a lot of people like Fellowship. I never got into it that much. But, um, yeah, but I don't know why, but this trailer did it for me. This trailer was like, now I want to see this movie today, as opposed to, hey, this movie's coming out later, and that's nice. So I'm into it. I, I was really happy to be excited for this movie a lot. I'm definitely what you would consider a ringer. Um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a whole was ranked number one for me on the best films of the previous decade so i this this movie came into the year being the film i was the most excited about and i'm still as far as i can find on the internet the only one predicting that it'll get a best picture nomination which still baffles me um based on the success that the other three films had with the academy but uh i think this trailer might get some people a little bit more like you mentioned excited about it because the first one just kind of gave us that reintroduced reintroduced us to Middle Earth, and this one we're actually seeing a little bit more of their journey and all the special effects and the danger and all that. And it, look, so. it looks fun. That's another thing that oh, it looks like a yeah, fun yeah. movie. It doesn't just look like yeah. hey, they're walking again. Like it looks like it looks like a fun yeah. adventure story. <laughs> right, and that, and that's the th- that's the difference really between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings is yeah. one is you know the extreme dark. We have to save the world. You know. Has has that kind of theme, whereas The Hobbit is a bunch of dwarves who are, you know, I mean, if you remember from Lord of the Rings, Gimli was kind of like the R two D two C three PO, you know, comic relief of Lord of the Rings, and so it's not surprising to see a little more of that in this adventure story. I pretty much agree with everything Mark Johnson said. I mean, I I'm a big fan of the original Lord of the Rings series. 
I, I was already on board to see this. It, it wouldn't even matter what they showed me in the, um, the trailer. I'm, I'm going to see this no matter what. Um, I, I don't like the fact that he's expanded it to three movies instead of two. I mean, in fact, right. I almost... I would have actually just would have liked just a single standalone film because I don't think The Hobbit demands three movies. So that uh, that is a little bit annoying to me. But uh, other than that, I, I, I'm very excited to see this film. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Best Picture nominee, I, it's hard to say because mm-hmm. I always already felt like Lord of the Rings was kind of pushing the envelope when they got all those nominations. And, and I mean, they deserved it. But, like, mm-hmm. they were going against the grain a little bit. Like, that's not the kind of film that gets nominated for Academy Awards. So for it to happen again, I think, is asking a lot. But, you know, a, a, assuming that the film is great, I would be I would love for it to get nominated for Best Picture because I, I think these kinds of films – should be recognized when they're good. Well, I, th- I think I think one of the things that makes that gives it such a great chance is not only the fact that they loved it the first time with the Lord of the Rings, but we have a new system now, where not only back then were there only five spots available, but now there's right. up to ten. Right. And on top of that, the way it's determined is mostly based by how many number one votes it gets. And I just think between Tolkien and Peter Jackson and, and this whole thing, I think it, it's going to have. You know, it's fan base already built in. Definitely, yeah, you definitely make a good point. However, you would have thought that possibly the last Harry Potter film might have squeaked in using that kind of a idea, and it didn't. So that's that's true, true, true for the fan base. But at the same time, the the Harry Potter films saw zero uh, for for their film zero Best Picture nominations, and in fact, the entire. All eight films combined have zero Oscar wins, so we don't have that precedent of they love it. Whereas with Lord of the Rings, they they not only nominated all three films when there were only five spots, but they also gave the third one the record-tying amount of wins, including a Best Picture win. So, I mean, that, that just has – I don't know. And again, I'm alone on this. Nobody else is in The Hobbit. I'm not saying for the win. I'm saying for a nomination. But nobody else is seeing it that way, so – I was sold with the first trailer. Um, I especially liked the the dwarf song, and I especially liked the the music toward the end of that trailer in the first one. Those really got me involved in it. So I was pretty much sold. Um, I I agree with Mark Hoban. I kind of wish that he didn't expand it out to three, um, probably just because I don't want to wait to see (laughs) the rest of it. Um, I'm not as youthful as I was when when the Lord of the Rings series came out. So, you know, my patience has gone down a little bit. So that's the only thing. But yeah, I was on board with the first one. I thought it was... Uh, but this one is well done. Uh, and again, yeah, it looks very fun. Great. All right, The Hobbit comes out uh, December 14th. Um, and it, <laughs> first, the first part of this Hobbit trilogy. And it will be in, I guess, 2D and 3D with 48 frames per second. Another thing that I'm very curious about seeing. So oh, yeah, that's the end of trailer. So that's going to take us into our review for The Master. What do you do? I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man, just like you. (laughs) He's been writing all night. You seem to inspire something in him. What we will do now will urge you toward existence within a group, society or family. Good science, by definition, allows for more than one opinion. Otherwise, you merely have the will of one man, which is the basis of cult. And this is where we are at. 
to have to explain ourselves. For what? The only way to defend ourselves is to attack. You know, you should wake up, Val. Your father's speaking. You might learn something. He's making all this up as he goes along. You don't see that? I wonder how he got here and what he's after. Is it really all so easy that he just came across us? You are an everlasting spirit, Freddy. I don't believe you. You make this up. I, just, I know you're trying to calm me down, but just say something that's true. Okay, so that should have been some of the trailer for The Master, the new film from Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, in the film, Joaquin Phoenix is a World War II veteran who has come back and is troubled, to put it at the least. Uh, he is kind of floating around, not doing too well until he happens upon a ship that is appears to be owned by Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Lancaster Dot, who is the leader of some kind of organization, which we can call the cause. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character, Freddy, stows away on the ship and meets up with the Dodd character, and they quickly form a sort of friendship, bond, relationship, whatever you want to call it, as Freddy becomes goes under the spell of this man who promotes himself as many things, including a nuclear physicist. And uh, Mark Johnson, what did you think of The Master? Well, uh, it, it took me a while to decide one way or another after I had seen it. So I, I, I think it's one that, you know, as many people have mentioned, it's going to take several viewings to fully grasp if you can even do such a thing with a film like this. Um, but what I what I mostly loved about it, I've come to decide I, I pretty much love the film. And what I really am I'm finding myself loving is the relationship between Freddie Quell, which is Joaquin Phoenix character, and Lancaster Dodd, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's not just one of servant and master. It's more symbiotic than that. They need each other. One needs one, you know. Quell needs Dodd for direction and guidance. Dodd needs Quell as a lost soul for him to govern in this you know, practice that he has, the cause that we talked about. Um, I love the way that Dodd's character just kind of sees Quell as this perfect uh, example of what his, his religion, if you want to call it that, can do. He sees this guy that he knows he can manipulate and do all these things with and mold into this person so that he can say, see what we're capable of. And I, I just I the more I think about their relationship, the more, you know, I, I become fascinated with the film entirely. So um, I'm a big fan now. Mark Hoban. Uh, OK, so before I say what I'm going to say, I should say I l- love Paul Thomas Anderson. He, I'm a big fan of him, and I walked into this film with very high expectations um, based on things that he's done in the past. We should, sorry, we should flash back to when Mark said, "All you need to do is show a black screen that says Paul Thomas Anderson, the master." Like when Mark said that, <laughs> right? Exactly. I'm glad, I'm glad you remember that. Yeah. No. It, so I was like, the trailer. That's all they had to do. But I'm unfortunately this film didn't engage me. I um, really found it mostly unenjoyable, and and by the end it was almost a chore to watch. Um, I just found that the narrative is really dramatically inert, and the storyline is very weak. It's sort of a like you said about a drifter who falls into this religious sect and kind of his experience with this man. And I feel like on paper, I mean, this could have been 
a searing portrait of a Svengali-like leader and his followers, or even just a Svengali-like leader and this one guy. But I didn't really feel the script attempted anything daring. Um, he, we're never really given proof as to why he has a following. And instead of focusing on the religion as a whole, we are mainly focused on the relationship between these two men. So we're not even presented whether he has a lot of followers, although we know he's written a book, so we assume he does. But I, don't, I couldn't really figure out why uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character was drawn to this man. Um, you know, and then Joaquin Phoenix, his performance, it's, it's definitely memorable. Um, but I didn't, like, I wasn't attracted to his character. I didn't, he didn't engage me. And, and maybe he's not supposed to, but I didn't feel sorry for him either. He just sort of kind of repelled me. And so without that, it kind of made it hard for me to be, you know, interested in his journey through this, this film. I didn't think Philip Seymour Hoffman ever said anything very interesting or engaging. And so it, it, without that insightful uh, reason to follow him, I, I just couldn't get into the film. Overall, it, it just I, – I wasn't engaged by it. You know, I thought that it was, uh, it was okay. I didn't think that it was, uh, I guess, very good. I wasn't as disinterested as, as Mark Hoban, but it's just more of – I felt as though with some of the Paul Thomas Anderson films – you have these characters that are maybe ambiguous in nature and they require you to, to think more elaborately about them. But with this, I felt that it was pretty straightforward. I, I didn't feel as though there were huge character arcs that I was um, compelled to, to decipher later, like uh, with uh, the Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood, um, or even Paul Dano, for that matter, in There Will Be Blood. But I do agree with Mark Johnson that the relationship between... Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman was was very interesting. You that one I could find some relation to think about, and also Amy Adams as well. And and this all ties into a speech that Philip Seymour Hoffman gives early on uh, about a dragon. A dragon. And, yeah, um, and so I found that to be interesting, especially the way that Amy Adams isn't really in it too much uh, in terms of having a speaking role or or whatever else. I mean, she's there, but. Uh, whenever she does have private conversations with Philip Seymour Hoffman and whatever else, those are very interesting. Uh, but other than that, I mean, on a whole, uh, I felt as though it was pretty straightforward. I don't think that there was too much ambiguity um, in it. And I felt as though there were some, some pieces that were left uh, possibly untouched that could have been uh, described, or I guess not described, but but further involved. And that would have been interesting. And, I, and that's primarily just the, the opposition to this quote-unquote the cause as what they they are called in the film so that's kind of just a gist yeah okay i um i liked the film i didn't love it i would have liked to but my i think my main issue with the film is that as opposed to other paul thomas anderson films which i watch a lot like i'm happy to rewatch them the master it doesn't feel like a film that i want to watch again <laughs> um and which is funny just because of people, even Mark just now, uh, saying that they want to, you know, watch it again and get kind of several viewings to really reach a fully formed opinion on it. I really don't want to see it again. <laughs> I, I think it's well acted. I think it's very well acted but between Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman and um, Amy Adams, too, who I hope doesn't go under-recognized because I think she has a pretty tricky role to play given the minimal appearance of her character. But uh, and how she's kind of playing different take on people, on people that she's played in other roles, but 
yeah, it's well acted. It's well, it's well shot. It's a good looking movie. And I was really into, again, the relationship between Phoenix and Hoffman's characters. And I find two of their scenes to be pretty outstanding actually. But I, I wasn't like, I, I didn't walk out of this movie thinking, man, that was, I walked out pretty silent actually <laughs> out of this movie. Like, and I saw it with uh, three other people. We all like, we're like, we had, we're kind of at a loss for words upon getting out of it. We're like, well, all right. Well, the ending is kind of, well, yeah, it you know, exactly, just kind of sits there. Yeah, it doesn't exactly leave you going, yeah, that's how it ended. Like, you just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> now I have to think about this. And I felt like I was going to take away more from it after seeing it than I'd actually ended up doing. Like, I thought about it for a while, and I went through my own processing of what the movie was about and, you know, took a stab at writing my review. And I was happy I saw it. I think it does things well. But, yeah, honestly, I just I felt like I wasn't attached enough to the movie to have it dwell in my mind more i feel like the i was kind of away from the characters to a point like i there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of subtlety and subtext into like wh- why joaquin phoenix characters acting a certain way and what hoffman's cause is about but i never felt like i was close enough to it to really kind of be more engaged by the film as a whole and i think that's what kind of set it apart from other anderson films where i'm really into the characters a lot more and i feel like i'm drawn into the story and i'm either a deeper level or a level that's, you know, just more entertaining, like something like Boogie Nights where I can just watch that again and again. Like it's just, yeah, there, there were things about it. It just didn't, I don't know, I don't know, register well with me overall as opposed to his other films. And it, that, you know, seemed like a disadvantage for me. So I didn't, overall I liked it, but I didn't love it. It's, it's, it's funny because if you talked to me yesterday, like I saw it Friday and if you were to talk to me that night or the first half of Saturday, I might've been on in the same camp. You know, but the it, it just has continued to grow. You know, and I, I've been trying to think as much as I can on it in that time. And by Saturday night, I just, I just, you know, I was at a get together with a few friends, and they were talking, and I kind of was just zoning out, still thinking of the master. And that's when I finally just realized, you know what? I think I love it. You know, and, and I'm kind of still not sure if I love it, but I know that I really, really like it. And I definitely, uh, like Aaron mentioned, I believe, I appreciate everything as far as how beautifully it's shot and the performances, those, those were kind of instantaneous things. But as far as what I had just seen, I was not a hundred percent sure. I knew I didn't get it. And I knew I wasn't sure if I liked what I wasn't getting. And it's kind of, it's just one of the hardest films to explain how I felt about afterwards and still now, which is why I really think seeing it again and letting it soak in and taking up all the smaller things I might've missed because the performances are so, maybe distracting from maybe what's going on because of the constant, you know, the, the Freddy's ticks and his lurch back, the, the, you know, you're watching kind of those things, I think at first. And I think if you see it again, you can take in more of the layers of the movie. So I don't, I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying, because I kind of felt that way at a certain point too. And I think you're either going to go one way or the other with this, this movie. It's not. I, I think one of the problems is for me, the script doesn't, doesn't push hard enough it's not insightful and to give an example there was a scene that really gave me hope um he's at a party and philip seymour hoffman as the leader is pontificating his views to the onlookers and one man speaks up and says you know how is this different from a cult and there's a slight discussion and then he sort of shouts at him back and says oh well you've already made up your mind so no reason to explain and he curses at him and that's the end of it 
And I just felt, oh my gosh, that could have been such a great opportunity to uh, explain the difference between cult and religion and how is when does a religion become a cult and, and, and that kind of – but it totally shirked the responsibility and it just went on to the next thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, that could have been deep, but it wasn't deep. It just was just, yeah. just thrown away. You know about that scene too. I was well, I was okay with it because it came fairly early on in the film, and I was thinking, oh, maybe they'll get back to it. And they kind of touched upon it. That's what I was getting at with my point too. It's just they kind of touch about it with Jesse Plemons saying, you know, he's making this up as he goes. And then the other part where he he has this out where Philip Seymour Hoffman has an outburst with Laura Dern, and I thought that was fantastic. And I was thinking, oh, we're actually going to get somewhere now, but it doesn't yeah. really ultimately get anywhere. I, I, and also, there are characters that. Uh, like even his his editor has, says something to the effect of to Joaquin Phoenix later in the film, and I was thinking, oh, this could go somewhere, but it kind of just leads to him getting beat up, and it doesn't really it doesn't really make me all that interested in it. It doesn't really engage me as much as I probably wanted to be engaged. Well, I, don't, I don't think I, I didn't want to necessarily learn more about the cause and about cult in general and what those things. I, I was. As much as I only just liked the film, I mean, I, I was—I didn't feel like I was robbed of, of learning more about what Philip Seymour Hoffman's whole, what his, what he was representing was about, or what like his, why he's amassed followers, or if he has followers, or what like is going on with his organization that he's the leader of. I wasn't necessarily concerned with those details. I don't feel like I. But those are the details as to explain why Joaquin Phoenix was attracted to him. See, but I don't. I don't. That's where I would disagree. I don't. I don't think the cause itself, or whatever his religion is, matters at all. I think it's just a generalized look at religion in general and and cult. If you want to, if you want to go there, um, I think the relationship is a, is symbiotic. It's a codependency. They're both yes. looking. They're both looking for what they are in each other. They both they both have found in each other what they've been looking for, and that's why I think there's a line early on where Hoffman's like, "I, I know you from somewhere," and and I don't know how much of that later on how he explains it is just bull. Like most of what he says is bull, right. most likely. Um, but I think what you know you have this you know, the the Freddie character who's coming back from the war mentally disturbed. His family has a history of mental illness. There's a lot of things going on mentally for him he needs that father figure kind of leader that will guide him he's gone from job to job he's constantly in and out of trouble he finds in philip seymour hoffman this guy who instantly sells him you know with that line i'm a man just like you hopefully inquisitive you know he he, he makes that connection early on so he's kind of bound to him that way and i think on the reverse side hoffman wants this because maybe his own relationship with his own son is kind of a disappointment because they have that disconnect I think maybe he finds this prodigal son type character in Freddy who will always return to him despite their arguments and whatnot. And the fact that he, he needs Philip Seymour Hoffman, the fact that Freddy needs uh, Dodd is I think a big part of why Dodd likes Freddy so much, you know? So that's kind of my, and I, I still, well, I'm, Still didn't understand though why he needed him. It almost seemed like he could have any guy that would have shown him some kindness would have raised risen him up out of his like the muck of his life. Because what is the relationship? It consists of these scenes. I mean, the meat of the movie is these in, in uh, question and answer scenes where he asks him, "What is your name, Freddie Quell? What is your name, Freddie Quell? What is your name, Freddie Quell?" On and on, and then. 
going to a wall, touching it, going to a window, touching that, going back and forth. These scenes are boring, and I, I, need, to, I need to be explained why these are relevant to their cult, or why, is, I don't, why are I these don't think scenes? They are. Yeah, I don't think they're boring. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think, think they're they that boring either. I think it shows how Hoff, I think if anything, we as a, as a watcher can see how full of Dodd's character is with exactly. these weird, strange drills he's doing, but he's convincing. What, what Dodd does, if you look at the people surrounding him, he kind of preys on the weak. You know, the people that he's going to see, in or, see are, are suffering from cancer and other things, and they're just reaching out for anything, any kind of hope at this point. You know, and, and that's why people like Freddy, who is a weak uh, person in, in search of some kind of savior, I think that's why they latch on to him, because he, he sells it. You know, he sells this, I'll save you, you know, kind of method by going back into your past and, you know, all the things they do. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, too, which is just that I... I he, it's almost as if it's validation for Philip Seymour Hoffman to have Freddy do these things over and over and over again, sure. only to ultimately find something that is so ludicrous because Philip or because Joaquin Phoenix has done it so many times. Like he, over the span of like ten minutes of the film, Joaquin Phoenix is walking back and forth, touching a window and touching a wall, and finally he's just like, okay, well, I guess that it's a beautiful view of a of a, a farmland or whatever else and it's almost as if uh it's almost like i i i basically um made it into metaphor when people are waterboarded or tortured it's like, like you're being tortured because they want an answer and then if you don't have if you don't supply that answer you just all of a sudden to stop yourself from being tortured you just make up something that uh you see in your head and hopefully that'll stop the the torture and for me, it was almost as if Philip Seymour Hoffman was not really torturing Joaquin Phoenix, but just making him do these things over and over again, just to have the people in the audience say, oh, wow, Philip Seymour Hoffman does know what he's talking about. Because, exactly. Yeah, at the point where he's finally like, okay, end, end whatever principle 45, you know, right. that was great, Freddie. I was like, that's such bogus stuff. You just right. made him do this and had lunch with your family and then he got to do nothing he just went crazy and he finally just came up with an answer that you found to be quote-unquote an end point to your to your stupid exercise and it's so ridiculous the things that that philip seymour hoffman does but at the same time i agree that the symbiotic relationship i may maybe not so much symbiotic but but they're just very much alike because again when you add in the amy adams character that's where the whole entire like dynamic really gets weird because again it's 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 almost as if Philip Seymour Hoffman, his master is Amy Adams, because she seems to be like very large matriarch. I wouldn't say that he's necessarily pulling all the strings, but she's definitely a lot more involved than meets the eye. Right. I would say. And she, she, she's one that leads him, that continues to help him go into a certain direction. Or can be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, she and, was she was one of the few people that believed like believed his uh, beliefs and and was like a proponent of his religion i mean a lot of the people in the re- in the religion actually kind of talked behind his back like oh he doesn't know what his own son is like I, he doesn't know what he's talking about the other guy says i think they should boil this book down to a pamphlet and hand it out at the airport <laughs> i mean nobody it didn't even seem like he even had really strong followers i, I mean i would say that i mean because we're just not given that which i mean one could see that as a problem with the movie, but I mean, we're all, we're given the son, and we're given that guy who I don't think is necessarily part of the cause. I think he's just his editor. Like he's just a guy that yeah, yeah, he's just the editor. 
who is also the other guy that gets shot in There Will Be yeah, Blood. Kevin, yeah. He's, yeah. Kevin. I was like, man, he gets, he gets handled in both these films. But and, and we're also given Laura Dern where she where she questions his change of the word from um, mm-hmm. recall your past lives to imagine. And that sort of and then I kind of felt like you did, Abe, like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a great discussion. Right. Let's have him do it. And then, no, he doesn't do it. He doesn't yeah, explain. It just explodes on her. But I found that to be very interesting because that's almost to the point where he even got so lost in all of his bogusness that he didn't he didn't remember what he wrote previously. So he just made something up. And then he's just continuously making things up, like what his son was saying. He's just making things up on the fly. And I found that to be very intriguing. But again, it doesn't go. It doesn't go. And Aaron, to your point earlier about, you know, I didn't really want to learn more about the cult. I just wanted to see how Philip Seymour Hoffman ticked. And it didn't really lend itself to that because he just blows up on Laura Dern and then that's the end of that conversation. So I just... I didn't need to know about the cult, and I, I get that the movie is about the relationship of these two men, not about the cult. However, I need some sort of basis as to why these men have a relationship. And I just didn't feel like there wasn't enough um, given to me as to why these two would be uh, drawn to each other. You know, I, 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 I get it all. I mean, I understand uh, he needed him. And, and actually, to be honest, Joaquin Phoenix's life was kind of improved a little bit while he was with the guy so in some sense the religion actually was working for him because before that he was creating women out of sandcastles and and having sex with them and and you know doing things he was totally and creating uh, moonshine out of paint thinner and stuff so i mean philip seymour hoffman in some ways actually did improve his life i mean in kind of a you know a backwards way okay i think they give i think they give hints to at another connection that they have um because Dobbs has that in that inner violence that Freddie just explodes with, right. you know, because you you see a couple scenes where Dobbs, you know, that when he gets questioned by his boiling pig, with rage, yeah. buck, right, right, exactly. When he goes off there, it's, he's just he says, you know, when he says pick, and then he like tries to bring himself back in, and then you see it again when Dern questions him on changing the word. I think he might have like a a buddy relationship with Freddie also on top of everything else. That because maybe he sees that side of himself in Freddie that he's so hard trying to contain at times. Which I, maybe. Which I think goes to Amy Adams' performance as well because they're obviously right. on two different sides of the spectrum, and I I I feel like there's there's obviously more to Dodd than we. I mean, Dodd plays things pretty close to this. Like he, we, there's obviously he is, there's a mysterious quality about him because you know what what is he doing? How is he coming up with all these things? He's writing these books about things that he could be just making up as he goes along. So I, I feel like there's a character that Amy Adams might, may have, you know, either known before Lancaster Dodd became the Lancaster Dodd or because she's such a dedicated follower of his work, she wants to keep him going down that path. And so having this Freddy character introduced into his life, bringing him back to possibly another way where he used to be like an angrier person or he used to be, you know, something different than he is now. Like, it's neat to see an animal. An animal. Right. <laughs> like, it, it's neat to see, you know, how... The, the he's you know, he could be being he he could be being pulled two different ways because of you know what the cause and what Amy Adams wants to represent versus what Joaquin Phoenix and his mischievousness wants to pull him more towards. Yeah, and to piggyback off of you, Mac, Mark Mark Johnson, it's just more of a. I felt as though the relationship between Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman is is very similar in that both of them are drunkards and they all they both have that that evil angry spell about them, but Amy Adams is able to help. Philip Seymour Hoffman cope with his stuff, and so he can continue. 
And he also firmly wants to believe that he is not an animal animal anymore. He firmly wants to believe that he's a he's a human. He's in charge of himself now, and he's trying to change um, Joaquin Phoenix. And again, I think it's just to all validate all the stuff that he's doing just for him mentally. And um, you know, I thought that stuff was pretty interesting, but it doesn't really lend itself to to make me think more about it. Again, it seems to me pretty straightforward. So I I was kind of I guess disappointed to some degree, uh, mildly disappointed that I didn't have to think that hard about uh, what I was watching. What did you guys think about uh, them cutting away from when Walking Phoenix is with the cause, and then you all of a sudden have this, you're not even sure when, when it takes place, but he's wearing his sailor suit, and he goes to knock on a door, and I mean, it, there's an... It, do, it doesn't help that they don't really try to de-age Joaquin Phoenix in those scenes, even though I know not much time has passed, but it, you know, it, it still looks like an older man is going after this really young girl, and either scenario right. but that with that said i i mean it uh there they play nicely i mean i wouldn't exactly say they completely expand on the character to really get us into his head but you i mean you see things that he you see what he you know was involved with before before he was what you would say is more troubled i guess after, after coming back from war and so it's you know it's it's i found those scenes interesting i mean i think walking phoenix as a whole i think is very good in this movie i i so, I mean, I was kind of with it for wherever his character was willing to go, regardless of my qualms of the film. Yeah, I just, I, I guess I asked because I, I wasn't sure what to make of it because they they go to, to that relationship and then they come back to it later, but I don't think anything's really resolved. Um, so I wasn't sure if there was a added meaning to that. I mean, it's, uh, it's just, I think it's just beyond result. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, so I, I mean... Maybe it has to do with just showing how he was kind of always on the run from something, whether it was, you know, a criminal past of some kind, or maybe he's just on the run from settling down with her, you know, and that's why he doesn't go back to see her until years later after he's even done with the war. I don't know. I don't. I, I, I know that a lot of the dream, or a lot of the movie works in kind of a dream state. There's several scenes that are, you don't know if he's awake or dreaming. Um, right. Like if, if you remember the one the party scene, a, yeah, the scenes where he's fantasizing. Yeah, that was a dream yeah. for sure. Sure, and then in the theater, uh, toward the end when he receives a phone call, I don't necessarily know that that was a real scene, or if it yeah, was a dream. I, That's what we were yeah, questioning I, too when we came out of the theater because we were well, it was like, well, he did know to go a certain place and bring a certain thing with him. So like, yeah, but he could have made contact I, in between that. You know, he could have contacted him again or something. But it was, it was. There were things that Philip Seymour Hoffman said once they did meet that contradicted yeah. what he said on the phone. And yeah. So I don't know if it was more of just kind of him daydreaming. You know, I don't know. I don't. That's why I say it takes. I think it's going to take a few viewings to really grasp a lot of that kind of stuff. And so. yeah, I think there were a lot of suggestions of things that. Paul Thomas Anderson put in this, but never expanded on them. And so those are, I think, one of the failings of the film. There was this suggestion, for example, that Philip Seymour Hoffman's married daughter was hitting on uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character. Very overtly. What was that about? I mean, they never expanded on it. She, she True. even, yeah, I, I just that annoyed me that they even, even put the that dinner in. scene was very interesting. But like she hits on him. First of all, I feel like Joaquin Phoenix's character was so basically disgusting i don't understand why she would hit on him uh, but if you're, well, if, what if that's in his head then what if that's another more of the dream oh, state oh, he, okay. because, oh that's, so that's so, no that's a, okay so that would be an explanation that's, because, okay. because 
because he's so perverted and he wants every woman, and that's why you know. know. Yeah, you're okay. So I I actually I took that at face value. That's okay. I would I did. I would say that is one way to take it, and that's a that's a fairly plausible way to take it, given the nature of the film in general. But at the same time, we do see we do see Joaquin Phoenix. He, 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 you know, he, he does bring in some of the women, like he's for whatever reason, even though, yeah, he is a, what would you would consider a disgusting character? He's not exactly not getting laid in this movie and he has some kind of, maybe he just has some kind of bad boy charm about him because, you know, the daughter's in this sheltered life where she has this father who's put in this giant religious cause. And he's now she's like strapped in for life with this marriage that I don't even know if, you know, she necessarily, how she came across this husband, this uh, the husband that she has now, given the nature of you know the, the right, religion right. she's in. So it's I mean maybe she just wanted to get away, and there's this this mysterious new guy who's this bad boy. Like I mean that seems I've there, seen that that's right. There there's definitely explanations for all of these things. I just don't feel like the script gave you that. You're you're having to fill in the blanks to a to a level that you shouldn't have to. I, but... I guess I'm just saying I don't feel like I I'm, I I don't have a problem with having to fill in those blanks. That didn't bother. Yeah, me. sometimes. Sometimes that can be kind of fun, you know, to have uh, to not have all the answers. Like I think no, no Country for Old Men was kind of that way too, with some vague, especially the ending. And it's kind of I don't know. I kind of I kind of like it when it's left open a little bit. I guess bit here it I, I don't have to have all the answers, but here it was just weird or strange for just the sake of being weird. And it's it's one of these things where people say, well, I you know I, I need to think about it. I don't think there is anything to think about. I think he threw a lot of stuff in there. And then just said, well, let's just see what sticks. I, I just don't feel like it's a fully well-thought-out film. I, I, I was disappointed. I mean, I really have a lot of respect for Paul Thomas, Ander- Paul Thomas Anderson and, uh, and his films. And this script just I, just, I think it was bad. I just don't think it was fully formed. It wasn't insightful. It was just kind of like, let me just throw this stuff out there and, and maybe I'll, I'll let people sort of draw their own conclusions. And I don't think he did his job in this case. Okay. Now... Mark, I don't. I don't think you hate this movie. I, mean, I know you don't like it, but you don't hate this movie, correct? I would be like. No, no. Yeah, I mean, no. there's there's something. You know, to be honest, if Joaquin Phoenix or Philip Seymour Hoffman, after everything I've said, it's probably odd to say this, but if Philip Seymour Hoffman or Joaquin Phoenix got an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor, I really wouldn't be. I wouldn't be that surprised because they do. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is memorable. I mean, he kind of. I don't know if anybody ever saw A Dangerous Method with Keira Knightley, but. Mm-hmm. It sort of reminds me a little bit of, uh, although this, he takes that performance to the next level. Uh, he's twisting his body and, and, and doing stuff. He physically, I mean, not only does he suggest yeah. somebody different mentally, but even physically. His upper lips it doesn't even seem a snarl. Like, yeah, yeah. So I appreciated that, and I, it, was, it was beautifully filmed, and the soundtrack was kind of weird and interesting. I mean, I would have to say the first half of the film, I was on board. If you had asked me halfway through the film, I would have said, oh, I, I, I'm kind of enjoying this. But then it just, for me, it fell apart at the end. And then it just, you know, when you see the, like, the last scene in the movie, the credits start coming up and you feel this feeling of being cheated. That's how I felt. So I, I agree with you that the first half of the movie is like the movie I would say is like, this is great. Like I can't, man, this is a really great it's movie. Yeah. And yeah, I would, and I was less engaged with them. I feel like it could have been, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's shorter than other Paul Thomas Anderson epics. It's only, it's only two hours and what, like 17 minutes, something like that. And, um, I, I wish it was tightened up a little bit more. Um, that may, that might've helped me in appreciating the movie more, even though I would have some, maybe same issues, but I feel like it wouldn't have been 
I wouldn't have been kind of like spiraling into the rest of this movie and not like enjoying it as much as I would have liked to if it was shorter. But um, yeah, that was going to be my next question mark. What things do you appreciate about the movie? Because sure, I'm sure you, you at least appreciate elements of it. And yeah, I think the performances are strong enough, which is what helped me in liking the movie overall, just because I like these the the characters in this movie. Or I like the performances given by the actors in, in the movie overall. And you and you got to also appreciate the cinematography by and I'm going to butcher his name, but Mihai Malamar. Yes, is that how you say it. Size. Okay, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty wonderfully shot. I, it's I, a it's a very well shot. I had the I, I had the privilege of being able to see it in seventy millimeters and uh, uh, seventy millimeter project. Like Paul Thomas Anderson shot this movie on sixty five millimeter film. Which it basically means that the movie looks great. Like it, it has yeah. it has an it has an expansive scope. It does a great detail. It's this widescreen presentation. It just looks like a pretty fantastic film. I I would have wished that he'd done that for There Will Be Blood and not this movie. But um, yeah, I saw you wrote, and I totally agree. It was like, why this film? Yeah, because it's much a this this movie is much more intimate than There Will Be Blood is, which has this expansive scope on the you know sure. early oil days but um that said the movie i mean it does look great it has these really interesting shots especially like early on just of setting up the joaquin phoenix character and like the environments that he's in and things like it's just it's a very good looking film and i, I really enjoyed the score by johnny greenwood i mean as much, mm-hmm. as much as i like the kind of the, the poppy scores by paul thomas henderson his other films too like he, he knows his soundtracks and he knows what score works and score works in this movie and johnny greenwood and him make a interesting team they they make some yeah. unusual scores that you know work well for what what they're trying to do, I guess. So, I mean, t- from a technical level, regardless of my issues of kind of the pacing and length overall, I, I really admired what he was bringing to a, on a, from a director's standpoint. Like, Definitely agree with the uh, cinematography and stuff. I mean, there was also the part that really blew me away. Uh, I didn't see it in 70 millimeter, so I'm, I'm kind of envious. Uh, but there was a scene where you see these photos that uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character is taking. And uh, this film is set in the 50s, and those photos that he's, or I guess on screen, those look fantastic. I was like, they recreate recreate the 50s really well. The the production levels of this movie. Yeah, the lighting, the hairstyle, it just, it it looked like I was looking at a photo and, you know. um, And even like that early, this early scene where like the guys are on the beach, it just, I don't know how, you know, with just limited, I mean, there's just guys wearing swimsuits on the beach, but it really felt like, oh, that's the 50s. Like, they recreate the period perfectly. Also, I, I just want to mention, there's a there's a scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman, as a photographer, you, you, Abe, you reminded me of this now, the uh, scene where he's, like, at, working as a photographer in, like, a, whatever, a department store. He gets into, you don't even really know why necessarily, but he, he suddenly, <laughs> like, he antagonizes one of the guys that he's taking a picture of, and he brings up like the the candle, oh, yeah. the light, all the way up to him. So he's like <laughs> sweating now, and he's getting really angry. And then he pushes him back, and Joaquin Phoenix goes up, and he kind of straightens his tie and starts like strangling him. All. So they get into this fight, and Paul Thomas Anderson has like an, a masterful way of using like long shots, and like he does it well. With this, it's just this long unbroken shot of these two men like fighting in a department store in front of all these people, and it's like this clumsy like people are falling over he's like throwing things and slip. like it's not it feels like it just you don't see choreography you just see actors performing this scene and it looks wild and interesting and like it's just these weird little things like that which honestly i wish the master did more of. i wish there were more of these kind of just weirder scenes that just kind of get you in the mind of freddie more but I mean, yeah it's just little fun things like that that feel very feel like a paul thomas anderson movie yeah i think 
I think one thing that'll be fun to watch <clears throat> unfold is the award chances for uh, the master. Because I think the critics are going to eat it up. It's going to be one of the critic darlings of the year, I've, you know, based on a lot of the reviews so far, other than maybe Roger Ebert. But I think it's going to win a lot of awards with critics. I'm curious to see how the Academy reacts to this movie. You know, I, I don't think... About that. Yeah. Uh, I have a question about um, if they were nominated, if, if uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Bill Seymour Hoffman were nominated, do you think that they would be nominated for supporting or lead? Well, here, here's the thing. For sure, without question, Joaquin Phoenix is going to be lead. The story begins with him. It's about 20, 25 minutes before Philip Seymour Hoffman even enters the movie. You know, we see a lot of his past first and the jobs and all that. So for and it ends with him too. So it's definitely it's definitely Phoenix's movie. Hoffman, on the other hand, you could definitely argue either way for lead or supporting. The film is being backed by the Weinstein's, who are the they are the ultimate guru of of, of how to speak to the Academy. You know, they've won recently with films like The Master and King's Speech, uh, King's Speech and even before with things like uh, Shakespeare in Love over Saving Private Ryan. They've, they've pulled off some coups in their day. So my guess is that they're going to push Hoffman for support. Yeah. Because the fact that getting them both in lead is only going to hurt their chances of winning with Phoenix. Because I don't think mm-hmm. Hoffman can win for this. He's already won for Capote. And he's not, he's, you know, he's not the bigger oscar you know, loud performance that Phoenix is. And they, they like their, their performances loud a lot of the times. Yeah. So you have Phoenix who has a shot to win, whereas Hoffman has a shot to be nominated. So I think if you push Hoffman to supporting, it's not even really that bad a category fraud because you could make, you can make the case that, you know, the story is really Phoenix is even though Hoffman is the, t- you know, the titular character there. Um, so I'm, my guess right now being that the Weinsteins are smart and they're going to be behind it, they're going to split them up so that they don't split votes when the voting comes for the win. I think you're going to see Phoenix and lead and have a very good chance to win. And, and there's there's a lot still to come, but it looks right now like it would be between him and maybe John Hawks for the, se- the sessions. I think if you slide Hoffman into supporting, it's a very – where lead is a very strong field right now. Uh, you supporting is kind of weaker, and I think there's even a chance that if they really go for the master, you could see Phoenix win lead, and then Hoffman win supporting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so I think you, I think if they're smart, that's you got to split them up. I, I agree with those sentiments. I, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't I, think about that dynamic, but that's yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I think it comes. No, I, I think it comes totally down to, with everything. Yeah, said. it comes down to them not wanting to split votes. That's that was my logic in that. Yeah, that's really. I, I would be shocked if uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman end up in the same category. Actually, I, I think it's almost a done deal that they will be separated. Maybe Golden Globes. I don't know if this is a Globes film. I think you might you might find Phoenix nominated just because they kind of have to. I don't know. It, it, that the Globes the Globes are all. They're more about their big stars, and not that these aren't big stars. That's why you know Phoenix for sure. I think you get nominated. But... I don't know that this is a Globe film. That'll be interesting to see. And, and it'll after... be one by default, if I had to guess. But... Right, yeah. It'll be interesting. That's for sure. All right, um, I think we've reached our the end of our discussion of The Master. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's go and rate the movie. Each week on Out Now, Baron and Abe, we try to rate the films we see based on when you should go and see them. So we have a scale that goes from IMAX to theater to Dollar Theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. So start how we began. Mark Johnson, where would you rate this movie on that scale? For me now, I'd probably go IMAX. For everyone else, I would just say if you're a PTA fan, IMAX. If not, 
and probably stay away. <laughs> Arcoven? Uh, I would say cable. Okay. Or HBO. Okay. Abe? I would say a dollar theater. I mean, I think the cinematography is warranted for the IMAX, but overall I just feel as though uh, it'd be a dollar theater. I, uh, I just recalled something. I'm pretty sure Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman were nominated in the same yeah. year for Best Actor at Capote yeah. and uh, Walk the Line. Yeah. Yep, 2005. See, they were competitors before. Okay, <laughs> just thought of this. Oh, okay. yep. um, yeah, um, in terms of my rating, Jesus, I, <laughs> it's such a weird film to rate. Yeah, because I don't <laughs> think there's any 70 millimeter dollar theaters lying around. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if there are, guys, if there was a dollar theater that happens to have a 70 millimeter projection, go over <laughs> that one. <laughs> I, I echo that sentiment. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's where I landed that in that movie. All right, cool. So let's get to uh, well, let's do a little movie callback. Callback, callback, callback. Uh, this is where we discuss a few films that might relate to the main feature of the week that we've thought of here. So uh, yeah, Mark, uh, Mark Johnson, any movies come to mind relate to the master in some way? Yeah, actually, a few months ago, I, I uh, rented because I just wanted to see it again before going into the master. I rented an old movie called Elmer Gantry for Lancaster, mm-hmm. which, 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 yeah, which deals a lot with, uh, you know, spirituality and religion and and whether it's a hoax or not with, uh, with what they do. So that that one a lot I think reminded me, you know, of this movie. And um, you know, other than that, maybe there will be blood just because similar kind of the the, the the, the soundtrack maybe maybe mostly and just another PTA film. Mark Hogan? Um Well, I kind of mentioned this in my uh, questions, but Martha Marcy May Marlene, the story of a of a leader of a religious group slash cult, whatever you want to call it. Um, it kind of reminded me of that. Which is a film that you also well, you liked that film overall. You didn't love it. That though. one? No, that one I actually. I I gave a positive review to so that that I would recommend that that was one of those ones where I did kind of think about it more and I started to kind of start to like it more in my mind after I had seen it. I agree, although I liked it a lot more initially after having seen it anyway. But yeah, that's a movie I really I really like. Uh, Abe, yeah, it was really tough. I couldn't really think of anything that would pinpoint to I guess the the premise of this one as well. I didn't see Marcy May Mar- Ma- uh, M three. <laughs> Or M4, but uh, all of that stays in. Yeah, but I, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, it's because it's it's very different on its own. Even though I didn't enjoy it as much. Oh uh, yeah, I, I had um, yeah, I was thinking about there will be blood a lot just because I was thinking about other kind of you know more obtuse Paul uh, Thomas Anderson, and um, yeah, I also Martha Marcy made Marlene did come to mind just because I'm like thinking other cult movies. And also, I thought of the Simpsons, the Simpsons episode, The Joy of Sect, where uh, the Simpsons join a cult, just because that, I mean, it, it, it came to mind. It honestly, it honestly came to mind as a movie I was thinking. It's a good pull. <laughs> and uh, I, I also thought of Revolutionary Road. The uh, Is that the right one? With uh, Leo DiCaprio and yeah. with Kate Winslet? Just because of the kind of the 50s setting and just kind of that, that uh-huh. aesthetic. Ah, okay. What's the other one? Revolution Road. That's a different movie, right? That's like Mark, that's right. like Mark Ruffalo. I think. I get those. They're, they're similar titles. Reservation. Reservation, Reservation Road. Yes, yeah, so I'm like okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Road movies, right? Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, the joy of sect. Classic, classic Simpsons episode, <laughs> where they all join a cult and it's and hilarity ensues. Um, but yeah, those are what I thought of. Okay, I guess that's a movie callback. Still a little box office. We're not going to go too deep into box office just because we didn't predict anything for this. But um, 
I should note that um, the Master has the uh, the the first week of of its release, especially it uh, be- what did it become, Mark? Do you know offhand? Like it became like the highest grossing per theater average like ever. Yeah, yeah, it was the highest. Oh God, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw up the fact on it, but it was something like the highest grossing independent film in the first week or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it made a. Yeah. It only played on like seven theaters in its first week when it broke that. Record. Yeah, it, yeah, it just like huge numbers because everybody. Yeah, <laughs> wanted to go and see this movie that they're all probably like coming out of thinking, "Wow, that was interesting." <laughs> I don't know if that makes me happy or sad, but that was interesting. Um, so yeah, box. Office. We'll get to box office in our next episode, and I'll address that coming up. But let's uh, get to something else. I think, uh, Abe. I think it's time. I think that we do have some time for some games. <laughs> Masterful this week, Eric. Left you, left you hanging. Yeah. All right. <laughs> left you um, How apt. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so I have a game. We haven't done this one in a while, Abe, but it is the. I have I have brought this up before. It is my movie history app, and this is Woo-hoo! this is a game which I make up on the spot where basically the app tells me things that happened today in movie history, and I'm going to form questions out of them. So let's see. Here's. The, first one here we go mark johnson i've got my eyes on this you is a, this, this game is very weirdly competitive because it's, it's it's not specific okay so today is september 23rd this day in movie history let's see uh, this actor was born who starred in films such as boys town and night at the museum mickey ben stiller mickey rooney mark johnson already taken a mark johnson already landed <laughs> smackdown <laughs> Yeah, Ben Stiller wasn't alive back in 1938, I think, which was Boys Town. So. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Might have been a bit of a stretch. <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, nine, uh, September 23rd, 1970, this World War II film Pat. was released in theaters Pat. starring uh, Martin Basalm and Joseph Cotton. Oh, damn, really? Not Patton? Not Patton. Another uh. World War II film. It was also 1970. Also 1970. I thought it was for sure. I don't know. There was another film related to the same topic that this film covered, released in 2001. Oh, is it uh, the original Tor Tor Tor? Boom! Mark Hoban's on the board. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. What's the 2001 film? Pearl Harbor. Oh, (laughs) Michael Bay films get deleted from... (laughs) Okay. Okay, here we go. Here's a... Okay. September 23rd, 1994... This film was released from, how do I phrase this without giving it away completely, from, let's see, it's so easy to give away, though. Okay, th- uh, this very popular film starring, screw it, Tim Robbins, was released in 1994. Shawshank. Shawshank Redemption is correct. Okay, um, let's see. Okay, Abe, here we go. It's one that hopefully you get. September 23rd, 1959, this star of the classic orangutan comedy Dunstan Checks In was born. <laughs> Holy crap. He also starred on a very popular sitcom. Robin Williams? Maybe? No one remembers Dunstan Checks In? (laughs) (laughs) I remember. Well, that had, what's his name? Uh, The guy from uh, Jason Alexander? That is the answer, Jason Alexander. Oh, wow. (laughs) From Seinfeld. (laughs) Yeah, Mark Hoban. Are you guys both tied at two apiece or or is Mark Hoban ahead? Yeah, two apiece. So here we go. Next one wins. Next one wins. 
<laughs> the classic joke. I never knew that knowing about Dunstan checks in. I've would... never even heard of it. <laughs> uh, show notes for Dunstan. How would I know about this? <laughs> I just figured you were a big Dunstan checks in fan. <laughs> Dunstan checks in. I was going to say like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. It has Faye Dunaway. Okay. Okay. This 2011 film, which came out last, obviously last year on September 23rd, starring, among other people, an actor we've been heavily talking about. Moneyball. Moneyball is correct. Okay. There you go. See? Damn. A lot of wow. So cool. okay. I, was waiting, I was waiting on Moneyball, and then as soon as you said an actor. <laughs> Oh, Aren't John too good at these games? <laughs> I think you're the winner this week <laughs> for that game. That's for sure. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do a little let's do a little ABC of movies. All right. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll start that now. Okay. So the ABC of movies for anyone that's we've all played this game, correct? Where we we're gonna go yeah. the alpha maybe that corresponds with the corresponding letter. Um, when we get to Z, if we're still going, we're gonna switch into numbers. It's the same. So just be ready for that. So movies that start with numbers. Like uh, two if by C, for example, would be one one that starts with the number two. Mm. All right, yeah. here we go. And any anything with a the in front yeah, no thes, no articles, no articles in front. It got to be the movie that starts with the letter. So okay, we'll go alphabetical order as always. So I will go then Abe and then Mark Hoban and then Mark Johnson. Got it. A is for a, about a boy. Uh, brave. Captain America. Uh, Donnie Darko. Ed Wood. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Gangs of New York. House of a Thousand Corpses. Might be a bone that, but I'll let it slide. Um, uh, no, it's just, isn't it just House of a Thousand? Okay, well, I'll, I'll let it go. <laughs> I think it is just House. All right, I know what you did last summer. Jurassic Park. Um, the uh, King Kong. Leviathan. <laughs> wow. Uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Oklahoma. Pretty Woman. Uh, Quantum of Solace. Uh, Rango. Saw. True Lies. Um, Underworld. <laughs> <laughs> I, for some reason, I thought Under the Stairs, because I'm like, that's a movie, right? And I'm like, no, Underworld. <laughs> v for Vendetta. Weekend at Bernie's. Boom. <laughs> that's a great call. Xanadu. <laughs> Whoa. Um, am I at Y? You got mail. Am I at Z? Yeah. Or... Yes. Zoolander. Boom. So now I'm going to numbers. Uh... Oh, God. One million years B.C. Yes! Nice! Get it! <laughs> Raquel Welch. Two days in the valley. Um, three days of the condor. Four. I don't know any movies that start with four. <laughs> You're out. Four Christmases. Boom! Damn! <laughs> what was it? Four Christmases. Four Christmases. Oh. Um, fast five. Oh, that's not starting with five. I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> a valiant attempt. Um, oh wait, no, I had one. What was it? Um, uh, Clock's ticking. Give me, give me two seconds. Hold on. I think you're done. I think Mark Hoban won. Nope, overruled. 
Where six. are we? You're on six. Yeah. Oh, what, what, so what was five? Fifty-fifty. It starts with a five. Oh. Oh, uh, oh, six degrees of separation. Oh, uh, <laughs> seven. God, seven. Seven. Fuck you. Eight men out. Nine. Damn! There's a lot of Ten commandments. Um. Wait, there's 11, 11, 11. That came out, like, last year. Remember? 11, 11, 11. <laughs> it was, like, a horror movie. Was, yeah, it was from, like, the guy that did, um, what's it, uh, like, the Saw movies. Like, some of the Saw movies. I, I can confirm that, yes. Yeah. That's confirmed. So, uh, uh 12 monkeys. Uh, 13 going on 30. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, how about... There's 1492. Yeah, it is, Con- yeah, yeah. For that's the um, that conquest of. Is that the Ridley? It's like a Ridley Scott movie, isn't it? Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah, that, with that guy, French. That French guy. Yeah, uh, Depardieu. Yeah. Uh, uh, fifteen minutes. Oh, uh, uh, sixteen candles. Yeah. Sixteen blocks also. Um, seventeen again, right? Was that Efron? Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's me. Oh, God, I can't think of. <laughs> I can't think of anything with 18 All right. in it. I think, yeah. I think we've done it, then. Congratulations, Aaron. I guess Apollo 18, but that's Apollo. No, that's an A. It, it would have to be 18, right? It would, so yeah. I can't. Not, not, not just the word 8, because I, I can think of one other 8 movie. Isn't there a George Burns movie called 18 again or something? Or is that... Probably. I forget. All right. We, it was a long <laughs> game anyway. <laughs> so we know 18's apparently our list. <laughs> So I look it up. And... I'm gonna have it written down in uh, in my book as Mark Hoban winning. Oh wait, okay, yeah, there, it, 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 yeah, there is a George Burns movie called 18 again. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's probably not good at all. Because it starts George Burns in a movie called 18 again. <laughs> it's like it's one of those body flipping roles, if I'm right, right, like vice versa and right, uh, yeah, big and it's the movie, yeah, exactly. Right, I'm pretty sure they say 18 again is the movie, 17 again, like father, like son. <laughs> Yeah, I like Father. <laughs> Is that the Kirk Cameron? It's a yeah. Really, I think it was with Dudley Moore. All, uh, all nineteen versions of Freaky Friday. Yeah. <laughs> big, but big's big's good. It's a quality movie. Big's so 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 is Freaky Friday. Um, okay, let's uh, Jesus, that was a long game of ABCs. Let's uh, move on then to what we're going to talk about next week. I guess for those that aren't aware, because why would you be the listeners at home? They should know that we are actually going to record. Abe and I are going to record our dread episode right after this episode, making it a marathon of podcasting. So Ooh. that is what we're going to talk about in the next episode of the show. No reason to predict the box office because we already have those results at this point. So we're just not going to do that. But yes, dread is the next episode that we will have posted after this episode. So there you go. <laughs> not, not much else to say there. <laughs> yeah, not a whole lot to say. I think we're going to be recording pretty soon. Yeah, so there you go. So I guess that's going to leave us at the end of the show then. So that's uh, that's going to do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can uh, find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. You can find all my written movie reviews as well as at wisebluecom for Blu-ray reviews. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Mark Johnson. I write for awardscircuit.com and you can find me on Twitter under MJ Award Circuit. And Mark Hoban. 
Uh, you can find my work on my personal blog at fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com and also on Twitter at Mark underscore Hoban. Okay, and you can, of course, find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, also at hhwlod.com. We have our show joining that podcast network there, which hosts a variety of shows that deal with comics and games and movies and stuff, and it's a bunch of fun guys that we like associate ourselves with. Um, outnow.podomatic.com, the newest episodes and some exclusives are posted there. Email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. I began the show mentioning the Paul Thomas Anderson contest that I have laid down the gauntlet for, so feel free to enter into that contest. Very simple. Uh, favorite Paul Thomas Anderson character and why. You could win something. Very easy to win our contests. Uh, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and Twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow and like our pages there. We have all the updates and other fun things that Abe and I tend to like posting on those sites. And... Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it. Thanks, guys, for coming on. This is a fun discussion of the master. For sure. Yeah, it's very yeah, nice. it was awesome. Detailed one. Yeah, for sure. Good time. Yeah, nice to get into a detailed conversation about a, a movie such as this every now and then, as opposed to doing our Absolutely. commentaries for movies like Street Fighter and Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> we, like, you know, which the, we don't the, mind the, doing, but you know, <laughs> this requires a different first, level of brain. <laughs> the first podcast I ever did with you guys was uh, The Tree of Life, so this is kind of like oh, another one of those kind of films. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode about Now Fair and Abe. Uh, so until next time, so long. And goodbye.
seven. God, seven. Seven. Fuck you. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs>